Welcome to Bridge to Leadership with Neha. Together, we decode what leading means in the real world to grow your impact and influence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bridge to Leadership. SaaS, or software as a space, is growing leaps and bounds worldwide as well as in India. There are lots of community members who are aspiring leaders in this space or who want to move into this space. So to discuss their concerns and questions, we are doing an Ask Me Anything session with Jeff Heckler. Jeff is the Director for Customer Success Solutions at MarketSource, a US-based firm providing enterprise sales and customer success solutions to Fortune 500 companies. So glad to have you with us, Jeff. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's a, a great pleasure of mine and a lot of gratitude to have uh, the opportunity to have this discussion with you. Um, very excited about it. It's a great uh, questions and really incredible topics, a lot of depth. And then for your community and, and what Bridgeford Leadership does, um, really grateful. I, I tip my hat to you and, and everything you do to, to provide learnings and resources and connections uh, for the community. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for your kind words. Jeff, you're going to start with letting the community know a little bit about yourself. So why don't you share with us some of the things that you hold dear, your values, your bringing up, things that stayed with you all your life. Just share a little bit about yourself with the community. Sure, I, I appreciate that. First of all, you did an outstanding job uh, introducing me, so I really don't need to do that. But I do want to, on behalf of Market Source, thank uh, them and, and you for the time. And uh, yes, at Market Source, we provide sales and, and customer success innovations for uh, our enterprise, Fortune 500, largely. Uh, that's the population of our customer base. And um, we do the uh, the entire soup to nuts from the sales and the customer success. So technology, people, and process. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to be there. I don't know where to start. I guess in regards to background and, and set the the level for this conversation, um, I've been in software for an embarrassing amount of time at this point. Started in uh, in '99, so I'm coming up on 25 years. SAP uh, business objects before we got acquired by SAP, uh, Accenture, Stanford University, uh, uh, Vistex, which is uh, I did some consultancy for them. So some of your folks might know that company. They're based out of India, very large. Uh, organization that does a lot of SAP work. And so I think that background is helpful, particularly as we get into the, the these questions about a lot of cultural uh, items and, and the things that we that we uh, do as, as opportunities and challenges in our professional and, and personal lives. And uh, you know I was I was also thinking about um, the time I was at a center in Stanford, I led a large team based out of India uh, geographically dispersed between three locations. At Pipe Drive, uh, when I was there before Market Source, I led a global team of CS, over 50 terrific people, largely based in uh, Portugal and Eastern European countries. So sensitivities to different different economic and, and market challenges, as well as cultural. And we haven't even mentioned South America, which differs largely uh, country to country, both financially and politically. So I think when we, when we have this conversation to look at the larger global view, and really think about the sensitivities um, from border to border and the challenges that that exist within them and uh, probably never more prevalent than today, right? And there's a, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that have developed in the past couple of weeks. And so I'm really grateful to have this conversation, going to be as candid uh, and as uh, 
open and vulnerable as uh, possible to to help share so that uh, we can all grow together. Thank you, Jeff. And I must appreciate the span of experience you have and the cultures you have worked with. Is there any geography, is there any continent that you have not worked in? You know, actually, it's interesting. I get a lot of individuals um, contacting me from uh, Nigeria. There's a lot of growth in Africa. I I see that. There's a lot of growth in South America, a lot of opportunity there. I've I've worked with a number of individuals and companies, um, a a lot in Brazil, of course, which was uh, key to a lot of growth for two particular software companies I worked for, and uh, Colombia as a as a wealth of uh, opportunity and talent and so now apac you know we haven't even discussed what's going on in australia and particularly new zealand a a terrific amount of opportunity and so when i think about and you know i just got back uh less than two weeks ago um or two weeks ago from europe i went to events in paris and amsterdam and how cs is conducted globally differs quite a bit uh it differs how CS and and the priorities in Europe uh, from America, and even from America to Canada. Um, you know, I've I have some friends that that work up there, and um, work for CS companies and do some CS consultancy. And those individuals, you know, have have uh, really deep and great takes on on CS, very thoughtful takes. And so when I look across my network and the conversations I have, it's very interesting to see how they how they differ and the sensitivities and and what the priorities are. That's wonderful to know. And I'm hoping we are going to dig deep in everything of uh, cultural nuances that you talked about and unpack a lot of things for our members. So let's start with the first question, Jeff. And I must say that while I'm asking these questions and there are community members who have been kind enough to uh, identify themselves, but please know this, that each question which is being asked is actually being asked by at least six to seven people, even though the person asking it is one, but there are lots of anonymous questions on the same lines that we have received. So the first question comes from Ankur Das Gupta, and he asks, Jeff, I'm curious to know if there are any anecdotes from your career journey where you were at the cusp of a business decision that impacted your personal life and in a way that you had not expected. Yeah. So this uh, this is one that was quite heavy. I had joined, this was uh, actually 20-ish years ago. I had joined a very small startup. Um, myself and uh, two other gentlemen uh, rented a house and uh, turned it into our office space and, and, and went after uh, uh, the BI market, uh, so business intelligence. Um, and uh, we built a uh, proactive delivery tool running off of some DB triggers, which Proactive delivery of data and reporting was not um, very robust in the early 2000s. And so we saw the opportunity and uh, built out the functionality and tool, productized it. And the, the quick end of that was um, I thought I was uh, going into to lead the technology charge. And it turned out that my vision and their vision wasn't aligned. I, I, I wasn't completely um Oh, made aware of all the things that they wanted to do. So we ended up in litigation and uh, that was no fun at all. And so at that point in my time, time in my career, I was very optimistic, uh, very naive and very hungry. And so being that ambitious, I, I made a very poor decision and being the sole income earner for my family that put a lot of things at risk. So I learned a lot from that. Um, 
And it you know, leads me to the great respect I have for the companies I've worked since, particularly now market source. You know, I came to market source because of the, the maturity of the organization and the leadership that was that was there. So I'm very grateful for that. So that was something that was unforeseen uh, and unfortunate, but um, I learned a great deal and it was incredibly stressful. But um, here we are and it, it all ended up in the long run for the for the best. I think this is a very valuable lesson for people today. Startup is a very enticing space and no doubt there are people who are doing very well, companies that are doing very well and lots of daring decisions that turn out to be right, but there are risks. So if you are in a place where everything depends on you, maybe you would want to think twice or maybe do a little more due diligence before you take the step. I will say that experience did lead me to knowing how to take certain risks. And and so um, at another place I was at much more recently, um, there were things that I wanted for my team and uh, negotiating those with a new CEO and how to go about doing the right research, building justifiable cases, particularly financially with the CFO. It really makes you do your homework, sharpen your pencil and uh, get your numbers in order um, in order to to change the the course of a, of a business or at least your line of business, uh, which in this case was the CS department. So uh, the, the learnings are valuable regardless. I, I completely understand. Jeff, would you want to point out maybe two or three very critical things that people should think about before they consider either joining a startup, which is very new, or starting up on their own and uh, you know putting in their papers in a comparatively safe for a company, what would be the top two or three things they should really think through so that they, they're, of course, there'll be surprises, but uh, they can manage the downside a little better? Well, it, it's a little bit tricky um, with very early stage uh, because there's not a lot of publicly available information. And so, you know, when I think about that, or when I coach and mentor individuals that are looking to make changes, and I tell them to get started as early as possible, um, because you want to go through the the motions. I mean, the research, the interviews, you know, conducting your market analysis, and why you would do that is because you don't want the first one, two, or, or three opportunities. Although it's great if it happens to be the, the the perfect fit, what you want to do is you want to learn, and most particularly, you want to learn about yourself. What are your priorities? What are the things that matter to you? And give yourself an honest gut check about where you stand. You know, the, there's that saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. There's another, you know, pardon my language, but the, there's also this saying that the difficult situation that you're, you're in is better than a difficult situation that you don't know. And so I think sometimes stepping back and um, using a little gratitude and, and seeing that you are in a place that does respect you and is is holding your position and that you are offering value to it can't be understated um, because you don't know you know where you you might end up next and so so that's the the first thing it's really introspection and so doing the diligence with yourself and saying you know what values do I have what things that matter to me and then it's about the conversations you know we live in this highly digitized world. But as much as you can have face-to-face conversations, even if it's not directly with individuals that are hiring you or you're going to be working with, are there people in your network or that you can find that have had experiences with this organization or leadership 
or or even the 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 funding, uh, the PE or the investors behind it, are there? You know, what can you do to learn about that, and what kind of conversations can you have? Because it's the it's really the it's all in the nose is a term about relationships. You know, until you get nose to nose with someone, do you really understand what their values are and what level of of um, camaraderie and you know congeniality and respect that you can have with each other? That could also help you push into more risk. You know, I'd I'd, I'd like to think that uh, what we're doing at, at Market Sources is quite ambitious. You know, going after a very um, very attractive customer success market, and we've we've done great so far. But it's it's you know it was a, a challenge. We're doing we're cutting uh, a lot of new ground and a lot of new territory. And so linking arms with individuals and knowing that cross functionally you're going to be able to um, give and rely in a together in partnership is huge. It means everything. And so building those relationships, you've got to have a have faith and at least enough of experience in the conversations that you know, okay, this is this is a good place. This is gonna gonna work. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be hard, but uh it's gonna be very exciting because it's it's brand new. So there's a a lot there. So it's the obvious you know research, but it's really as many conversations you can have um on the on the periphery to really dig into understanding what kind of environment you're looking at. That's really great to know, Jeff. So they, these are some things that people can keep in mind that have as many conversations as they can. And it's important that the values align before you really jump the ship. Yeah, because I mean, you're going to come into a new environment, you're doing new things. You don't even know a lot of the things that are going to be challenged with you. But what you can have faith in is that you'll learn and grow together and that you're, you're going to tackle these things together. And it um, you know takes patience and perseverance. But there's so many unknowns, particularly uh, with, well, with any new role. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're working for the largest organizations in the world. The, the culture and, the, and yourself into that new system is going to take a lot of growth. And, and so, so much of the unknown, you've got to have faith that it's uh, going to be something that, that everybody can work together for. Let's look at the next question, which is slightly away from our conversation on, you know, taking bigger decisions to move from a safer job to a startup. This is around shifting from one industry to the other. So we have a question from Revati. Will the digital salesperson be a fit for the SaaS product or platform? What skill sets should a person be picking up to be part of the SaaS platform. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited this question came in because as we were discussing on LinkedIn yesterday, I was um, surprised that we hadn't heard you know the AI question yet. Okay, the digital salesperson uh, a fit for SaaS? Um, it's already happened. There are some really strong products out there. Um, I'll give a shout out to my friend Dickie Singh and Cast App. You know there are a lot of great digital tools which are maximizing the the content the input and the knowledge that's already inside of an organization from their, their customers the market and internally and being able to produce high quality customer facing content and and at scale and so it's really off the charts um i've watched that company and, and many others develop over the past even just 18 months but more about 36 and so uh, the digital salesperson the digital consultant the digital the digital advisor is already here. Um, it's a matter of how you decide to plug yourself and that technology into the organization. You know, I, I advise folks that are that are looking at AI technologies. You know, there's there's three different ways you can do it. You can lift it yourself, so you can use it 
yourself to maximize what you do on a daily basis one-on-one. You can use technologies that are already being implemented. You know, all the big customer success platforms already have AI infused in their technology. So there's a lot of advantage to um, growing with a platform, uh, particularly if obviously if you're already a customer and doing that or doing a, maybe you even need, need to do a switch because your processes have changed and there's a lot of advantages to another tool or something like that. Um, so, and then the third part is, is taking a third-party standalone AI tool or, or highly digitized tool and using that to your advantage. You know, we at MarketSource um, every quarter go through, I'm on it daily, but uh, go through and, and, and look at the technologies and what's going to be best to uh, plug in for our customers and, and, and even ourselves. So because we're technology agnostic. And so we want to do what's take what's best out in their marketplace and fit it to what's going to be best for the engagement that we're partnered with, with our customers. So I think the digital person, they're already here. So, you know, the second part of that is how can a person safeguard themselves? And, you know, I think it's pretty simple, particularly if you're going to switch verticals. And I'll cover that as part B in a moment. But part A is you want to grow deeper technologically, right? So you want to be hungry and fearless and roll your sleeves up and jump in. Um, it's the only way to get a new swimming pool, right? So that would be the first thing I, w- I would say. And then the, the part B to that is the verticalization is there There are great advantages, particularly in CS, um, it, to becoming deeper vertically. I see our customers every week looking and expecting for customer success professionals to be much more situationally fluent and aware of what is going on in their particular market. And there's nothing that a customer wants more than to be advised on, hey, customers like you are doing these things. Or in your marketplace, in your, in your, in, in the way that you go to market and the way that that you are maturing, we see these things with customers like you. So you, of course you anonymize that information um, in regards to customers, but being able to advise your customers on a very deep level, um, knowing their business terms, knowing their semantics, knowing their metrics, their standard benchmarks in your vertical. These are the benchmarks that we see that not only is appreciated, becoming more and more to be expected. So I would say, you know, getting deeper in a, in a vertical uh, will always do you well. And a lot of the learnings that, you know, if you went from, let's say, you know, financial, right, you went from a, a fintech product to uh, maybe something that was built particularly for for energy, the structures and infrastructure of those tools, and how they're delivered, and how they fit into a tech stack, are often very similar. So there's, you know, you don't need to be apprehensive that you're going into a whole new world. It sometimes it's just a another way how how it's structured. But if you understand the basics of of one market, you can translate that to to another. So being fluent there, I'll also say, um, I think there are four other things that are that are highly valuable. Um, it's a little. I wouldn't say outdated, but there are some good principles behind solution selling that still are applicable, you know, and, and leading with problem solving and, uh, you know, first principles and, and reverse engineering challenges, uh, negotiation skills. I, I don't care what you code in. You're, you're not going to be able to build a product that can, that can have difficult conversations and, and, and negotiate at, at really high levels. Data analysis. Uh, there are a lot of tools which can be predictive and highly analytical, but it, it would it takes a real savvy uh, individual with a high level of business acumen to understand the logic and and foresee uh, the patterns of of what you know lies in the future when it comes to to data analysis and then kind of going back to the very first point you know tech tool proficiency 
if you can lead to charge, whether in your organization or or start to you know contribute in a community in regards to particular tools, whether you're using ChatGPT or using Bard or you know whatever have you for 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 that type of of work, um, you you will stand out, and uh, and the more that you share, the more you'll stand out. That's great to know. So just to recap, one, it's not uncommon to see digital salespeople entering SaaS products and platforms. And it's not necessary that you have to stick to one vertical. It's quite all right if you shift between verticals. So if you're a digital salesperson, you can you don't necessarily have to be in marketing technology or an ad tech. You can be into a fintech or a health tech and so on. The key skills here are you have to have an aptitude to understand how the technology is being used and applied. And you have to have those basic business acumen and negotiation skills that are going to take you far as a professional as well as a leader. Yeah, I, I think to illustrate the example even, even more deeply, every single one of us uses a CRM, right? Um, no matter how big and, and bulky it is, if it's you know the market leader or if it's, uh, you know, you're in spreadsheets um, and you're you're trying to just automate some things for yourself. The principles behind it are the same. Um, you know, why is it, why does it exist? How is it structured? How the tool you it, you know is managed is a little bit different. So you understanding the principles and understanding the foundational reasons behind a tool, uh, you can always learn how that particular widget um, executes and how to make the most out of it and, and how to customize it. Uh, but there, you know, there will always be something to be said about you know foundational principles. And so, technology so frequently and so often, you could go to an organization that you know they're going to swap out half their tech stack because you know for any certain number of, of financial or political reasons, and uh, you want to be able to adapt. So you know it, it comes back to principles. I I can completely relate to that because I remember when I was recruiting for my team. The product knowledge was the last thing I would look at. In fact, I wouldn't even put it on the job description. And all I was interested was in the aptitude and the basic requirements for the job. And knowing the technology or knowing the product was the least priority. So I I absolutely relate to that. And so there's a word out that if you're not in SaaS, if you're trying to enter SaaS, Please use your industry knowledge. Please use the experience that you've had so far to your benefit. And there would be new things to learn. So use this time that is taking you for the transition. Take your training, take your courses, but there's definitely hope. And there's a lot of hope. It's not just that you will somehow make it into this space, but you are needed, you are required, and the clients are waiting for you to come into this space. So that's great news, Jeff. Thank you so much. I'm sure people would be celebrating this response well you like any anybody else that uh, has experience in, in being a hiring manager um you know the, it, especially if you're, you're you're shying away from the product knowledge which i can appreciate you get away from the keywords right and so you really get it to look at individuals for their experience and their potential uh versus you know uh, widget you know knowledge and so which brings me to the next question and this is also from from Ravitly. I'm just wondering if there's a related question to this. So I think I'm going to stick to the customer success questions and I'm going to come back to Ravitly's questions. It's a very interesting question. I don't want to drop it. But I'm going to come to another question from, from Madhu who asks, 
as a CSM, what are the right things to crack that will make my manager give me a promotion I want? So since we're talking about the skill sets and the talent, I think a lot would have been covered in the answer that you mentioned, but you know, just to add to that. So once you enter the SaaS space, how do you really get a promotion and what are the things you should crack? First things first, you want to know that you're completing the job requirements that you have to 100% and beyond um, and not overlook any of that. And then it's about having conversations with your, your management, your leaders to understand the exact requirements for the next role. Those next requirements for the next role already exist in a job description that you can rely upon. But quite often um, in our ambition and our skills and our abilities, we are moving into territory for where a a position might not have yet been designed. And so um, I have a colleague at MarketSource and um, she saw the need in in our business for a particular role. And so she crafted it and uh, did an amazing job at that, not only seeing the need, but building the case for, you know, here's why, here are the particulars, and then here are the advantages. Here is is what our organization can look at as results from building this this new role. And so, you know, it it it's of course a lot easier when it already exists and you know where you're going, the, the particulars are already there, but it's also there's a, a great challenge and huge opportunity for filling a need that has yet to be formally identified and of course budgeted for. And so that has a whole particular set of um, challenges and again, opportunities behind it. So, uh, th- you know, those are the two different ways that you can go about it. Now, when it comes to, you know, more personally about your your management, you know, it's not just what your role is and what you're doing there and, and what you think the next thing is, but what are quite possibly the items that your manager wants next that aren't aren't part of what your daily daily do- job description is is there a pet project um, that he or she is really wanting to to get lifted? Um, is there a, an award that would uh, you know need a couple check check boxes for that person to qualify for, and you can help lift them up and, and attain that? And so it's about finding out what the real priorities are that sometimes aren't exactly the day to day or even something that's being tracked quarterly. It could be something that is annual or really has a multi-year vision on it and how can you attach yourself to being a vital part of that growth um and then you know once you've identified that it's uh, hopefully formally but at least informally really having the conversation about i see this as as a need and an identified opportunity in our business i'd like to be a part of it here's how i can contribute I know I can contribute because I have experiences that point to that ability and the 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 probability that I have a lot to offer. And then how do we start documenting that? And how do we make this regular cadence, um, whether it's you know weekly, monthly, or or quarterly with your management? That here are the objectives. Here's what we're going after. Here it is documented. Here it is shared. We're all aware, um, and that you've really put that target on the wall, highly visible. And outlined, detailed, um, so that you can you can hit it. And then there's a there's a sticky, you know, there's some sticky um, opportunities and 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 challenges where maybe the next opportunity isn't going to be supported by your manager. It's not within their domain, um, or they don't have the political capital to help get you there. Is there a parallel manager 
uh, or is there another mentor internally uh, that can help champion your cause? And you can start to work with that individual, either formally or informally, to, to get you to that next place. Um, but be very clear in your vision and your intention uh, because you're going to put a lot of work behind it. And you want to make sure that the work that you be put behind it has a, a big column header into, you know, this is why I'm, I'm doing this. We agree that this is a, this is a great opportunity and a, and a reason for motivation for all of us work together. And at the result, I'm expecting that we have, you know, a change in title or a change in position or a change in department. So what I'm hearing is just keep your eyes and ears open and get a sense of the land, figure out how you can be relevant. It's very common for people to just put their head down and do a great job, but not keep their eyes and ears open to really sense the opportunities that are out there, the unmet or unsaid needs that the immediate managers would have. Like you mentioned, there could be a pet project and that might not be communicated in their KRAs or even as a business objective, but if you are in communication with your managers, with your peers, you'll know that this is something that can impact. And you also touched upon having those mentors and champions and people who have the political currency to take you where you want to go. And they could all be different people. Your manager might not be the one who has everything. It could be very different people in, in the organization. So you really need to go out. You really need to network. And before you start working, have your vision clear and create a critical path that if this is where I want to go, these are a few things that I have to find out. And once I find them out, this is how I have to work. So it's it's a very planned thing. It's not something that we can just expect our organization to take care of. We can't say, hey, I completed all my KPIs and tell me where is my next promotion? But this is something that we have to act, actively work on. Yeah, and I'll stop here and give you an example. Um, you know, I came to, to market source and you know, do very specific things or run CS internally and externally. In conversations with leadership, I realized there had been a seed of a, and, and was still on a whiteboard uh, for somewhere for four to six years on a client management engagement system to proactively deliver content and uh, interactions with our customers that standardized the delivery across our organization um, instead of different silos operating um, in, in one manner or another. So it's great for our customers because then we offer our customers a, a unified experience um, that when they go from, from one engagement to another engagement, we might have different personnel from our side they, they can come to expect a certain kind of delivery with a certain standard level of cadence around certain touch points. And so having had built uh, CSPs or customer success platforms at other places using CRMs, um, I was very excited. And that's one of the keys. You've got to be excited about what you're doing. Um, so I, I was very excited to say, hey, well, maybe we can take this off the whiteboard and we can we can get it lifted. And you know, it, I, I remember my leadership saying, well, you can get this done. It'll be quite a thing. And so um, it took a lot of cross-functional uh, collaboration and a lot of uh, project management experience and uh, keeping an orchestrated number of individuals together, you know, the technical side, the business side, um, many different stakeholders in order to get this 
um, to the place where it could be very valuable. I knew it was going to be massively valuable for our organization, um, as did my leadership, and I knew it was going to be massively valuable for our customers. And so the importance to me was very intrinsic. You know, being a, someone who lives and breathes CS and does so quite passionately, I was very excited about, hey, this is going to take us to a, a next level. Um, we since delivered that. It, it is live in production across our entire commercial organization, um, both auto and Omni. I'm you know, incredibly grateful for the for the teams that that surrounded that and and did that. And that when I look back now from the past two years, it's one of the 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 things that I'm most uh, proud and grateful for. And so, um, it wasn't necessarily a challenge I had to take on, but it was I knew it was something that you know having gone around the horn before at other places, I was like, this is going to be something special. And uh, it, it is going to continue to develop. And 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 part of the great, you know, I shared this vision with my leadership, so I knew we were right on, is this is a product that now we offer to our customers. Um, it can be highly customized or it can be taken right off the shelf. It, you know, plugs into the largest CRM in the world. It's uh, got a great structure uh, to it. And uh, just uh, you know, incredibly excited. I posted about it on LinkedIn and, and shared about it in other forums. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great thing. Great joy. So. so wonderful. So these are the projects that we need to pick up, even though they might not be part of our required chaotic. And again, it, it's got to be something that you're passionate about and something that you, you've, seen, you've seen so much opportunity in. And a lot of the opportunity that you see in it will develop over time. This is something that wasn't, you know, now we're in production, now it's gone live. It's, you know, no, uh, the job has just really started. Now that we're in, like, let's continue to get feedback loops from our user population, from our customers, and to maximize the value. Because there's so much uh, cost that goes into just getting it lifted. It's kind of like a, a space shuttle or a rocket ship. The amount of energy that it takes just to start to get something lifted is massive. Uh, once you get into orbit, um, the the efficiencies are are so much greater, um, and you escape you know technical debt traps. Understood, absolutely. So please enjoy what you're doing, otherwise nothing's worth it. While we are on the question of you know what are the things that we should look at for a promotion, there's also a question from Sachi where she asks, uh, what are the specific training certification programs that are recommended for advancing in customer success leadership positions quite related to to the question you just answered. Yeah, I'll make this quick. Um, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there that offer a, a lot of great certifications and trainings. I personally haven't um, consumed any of them, uh, so I, I can't speak from, you know, direct uh, experience. Um, but there, there are a lot of individuals that that run those organizations that I have a lot of respect for. I really can't, I can't think of one I don't have respect for. So, you know, it, it's a matter, they're all going to have different philosophies and they're all going to have, uh, you know, different ways that they go about it. Um, of course, reviews and talking to individuals that have actually gone through the courses and have those certifications is the first thing you want to do. And um, and then match, because you're going to take time and effort and cost to to do these things. So I would, I would say, you know, you want to find somebody and you want to listen to the leaders, uh, not just from where they're coming from, from their company and from, from their content, uh, from their their training content, but listen to their, all of them uh, do, you know, share in podcasts and, and interviews and, and on LinkedIn and understand what their CS philosophy is. Um, you know, CS varies wildly from, you know, one person to the next and one leader to the next. Um, you can't be all CS things to all people. 
So you do want to go look around the boundaries and see what those voices are saying about CS and find something that matches your personal philosophy, as well as the environments that either you're or both you're currently working in and those that you want to go to work in. So I would do that. Um, one one non-negotiable, I will say, is you want to pick up my friend, friend uh, Wayne McCullough's book, The Seven Pillars of Customer Success. That book, you know, how many times I've, I've read it and gone through it, there are so many things that um, not only are foundational, but are principles which will, will guide you in, in no matter where you travel. I am in love with that book. And there's so many lessons I've learned from it. But the one lesson which is really close to my heart, and that's because those were the that was one of the earlier lessons that I implemented in my career, and it it gave me such huge returns. One of the things he says in his book is that most of the people forget in the customer life cycle to add churn. So their customer life cycle goes from renewal to advocate or champion and then, you know, getting you leads and so on. But somehow the churn is missing. And that was such an important part of the customer life cycle. And the thing is, I was doing the same thing. And when I implemented it, when I literally started having a playbook for offboarding a client, I, I think it made tremendous difference in the amount of intelligence we had, in the amount of processes that we changed, in the way it completely transformed us as customer success people. So this is something that's very close to my heart because this was one of the initial lessons that I, I implemented. And it's it's something I can't forget. Yeah, I would now like to move to some of the career-related and leadership-related questions which might have an angle of SaaS and customer success, but more or less probably everyone will benefit from these questions because I'm sure irrespective of what industry they are, they are facing them. So let's begin with a question from Revati. She says, the leadership that I have been taught or mentored under has always been empathetic. However, I'm seeing that due to immense pressure and competition, the leaders are losing it. Thus, this is affecting the overall work culture and force driving the business. So what is it that she can do in, in such a situation? Well, first, it's very unfortunate. Uh... You know, you have a, a really good environment, relationships, or, or ecosystem where you are, and then things things are changing, um, and we see a ton of that right now. And I'll get into the reasons why in just a moment. So, but the first thing I, I, I want to start with is let's take a step back for just a moment and and understand that we're all people doing the best we can with what we've got at the time. And and I'll say that again: we're all people doing the best we can with what we've got at the time. And so. You know, leaders are are particularly middle management leaders. You know, first tier uh, leaders and leaders up uh, in the in the manager and director levels and VP levels are. I mean, I, I've gone through nine eleven. I have gone through the dot com bubble. I, uh, early two thousands. I've gone through the housing crisis. Um, you know, we all went through COVID. Um, I haven't seen the particular level of stress that is in a vice grip 
um, for some places and some people and some organizations um, that exists now. It's it is incredibly difficult because a lot of it is really uh, not tangible. You know, we're in this really weird. Uh, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? It depends kind of sometimes what continent and country you're in, what vertical you're in. Are you in SaaS? And some people that are listening to this are not in SaaS. And so the, the challenges are really, they can they can be, I wouldn't say well, obtuse a little bit, just unclear. Uh, that's probably a better word. And so there's a lot of stress there. And, you know, in, in the growth, uh, now we go back to SaaS, particularly in SaaS and COVID, COVID uh, post-COVID, um, CS really took off. So you had a lot of individuals that got promoted into their first-time managerial positions um, because they were going after the title or because the opportunity purely presented itself. And so um, they're a little uh, above, the water's a little above their heads at this point. And so struggling to, to figure that out. Um, so, so again, first of all, it's, it, you know, it's a people thing. And so let's, let's take that and be sensitive to that. Now, having, having said all that, and, and the conditions, especially again for the first-time leaders, you have to then start to take the foundation and the structure and and the support that you were getting from from that relationship or those relationships and get it elsewhere. That's vital. So networking, um, working with your peers, getting tighter and more communicative and more collaborative with your peers um, inside your organization and inside your and out, outside your organization, but inside your profession to help bolster you. If for nothing else. You know the the spiritual and emotional support that you get from each other. Everybody's going through it. <laughs> Excuse me. Everybody sees it at least if they don't have it directly. And so, um, the more that you can share uh, what's going on and listen to others and what they're they're going through, the much more secure you'll feel and confident you'll be able to move forward. And so it's it's about um, you know observing it for what it is and then taking care of yourself and then hopefully providing some some care and structure and support for others as well. And that's really how you're, you're going to get you through that. Um, at the same time, um, identifying ways that you can help your leadership, um, identifying, even if you don't see a particular thing that you can do, ad- approaching them and say, hey, you know, I really know this is a difficult time for, for us as an organization. Um, what can I do or what can I add to my responsibilities that will help all of us? Um, you know, you don't want to make it personal. You do want to say, how can I help? Um, and what can I do to help offload some of the stress and challenges that are that are going on? It's oftentimes, simply acknowledging it and stating it, it although it takes you know some courage um, and vulnerability, is will help lift up your organization and your leaders. And um, you know, nobody's invincible, and we everyone puts on a brave face at times. Um, but we're all concerned about you know the next rift that could happen to somebody um, ourselves, somebody that we know in our network. Um, you know, every week we see you know reduction of force or, or layoffs that happen, um, and so you know think of you know, just just see ways that you can become uh, more useful to your peers, more useful to those around you, um, and don't take any of it personally, and, and certainly don't the best you can be judgmental about um, what's going on. So that's it, folks. You have been listening to Bridge to Leadership, a platform where leaders find their kindred spirits. I'm your host, Neha Singh. Know more about us on bridgetoleadership.in. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. The link is in the show notes.